Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Bad Broadcast. I'm your host, Maddie Murphy. Hi. Hey, hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of The Bad Broadcast broadcast. I have a have a new style of episode for you today that we've never done. And I had a had a topic chosen for this week actually. Nor it was going to be normal episode story submissions and it was going to be what is the luckiest thing that's ever happened to you. So I I put that up on my Instagram and I got the Google Doc ready and everything, but then when the submission started coming in, I realized that every single answer was just about finding money. <laughs> every single one. Or like winning a raffle and you won a gift card or something. They were all kind of like, I don't want to say they were like not interesting because I understand that that is interesting. There just wasn't a lot of variation between all of the answers. They were all kind of the same answer over and over again. So then late last night, I was like, what are we going to do? What are we going to choose for our topic this week? Should I just go back and redo one that we've done before that people have been asking for? But then it hit me that every week without fail, I get a ton of messages that say, hey, are you still taking submissions for blank for this certain topic? Or when are you going to do that topic again? Because I have a story and here's my story. Just hold on to it until you do the topic again, which I have a really hard time doing. Like people will email me randomly and be like, hey, just for next time that you do an in-law episode, here's my story. But then they get lost in the shuffle and that's not your guys' fault. That's my fault for not having a better system for it. On top of that, Every time people send me these messages, they're usually requesting a different topic. There's like a few different ones that come up a lot, but there's not one that sticks out to me of like, oh, we need to do that one because that one's being requested the most, which is why I just kind of periodically do repeat topics. Do you guys hear that siren? Sir, I'm recording. Okay, it's gone now. So that's why I do repeat topics. But then I I decided that I was going to get a little wild. And I was going to open the top 10 topics of all time at the same time and put them all in one episode. And to be honest, I'm kind of thinking about leaving these open all the time. Seems like that would be a lot easier for you guys and me if it's just all in one place and you guys can just hop on my website and like submit the story that you that you want the for the topic you want, you know. Sorry, another siren. <laughs> okay. I do think it's gone. So anyway. I'll work on that. I'll work on getting those all organized so that you can submit whatever story you want at any time. But this is going to be a Frankenstein episode. 
pieces of a bunch of different episodes all smushed into one. And yes, I know that the monster is not named Frankenstein. The doctor is named Frankenstein. So technically, I am Frankenstein in this situation, piecing all of this together. I bet that's a dumb club submission for some of you guys. Anyway, the top 10 topics that I opened up this week and that we will be discussing are the following. Am I the asshole? Judge Maddie, or, you know, rebranding that to Murphy's Law. Thank you, Ash. Petty Petty Princess. Is this ick? Bad dates. Worst in-laws. Roommate horror. Bad bosses. Wedding hells. And foot-in-mouth moments. And I don't think I have any other announcements or orders of business. I will tell you which, obviously, which category we're going into before I read the stories from it. And also, I wanted to say at the end of this episode, I'm going to be answering a bunch of podcasting questions that came in over the over this last week. Uh, just wanted to let you guys know, those of you that have been waiting for that segment, it'll be at the end of this episode. But for now, let's get very, very weird. And we're opening it up with a submission of, am I the asshole? I can't decide. Like, I'm, I'm deciding in real time right now. Should I do each segment on its own or bounce around from each story to story and go, I think we should keep it, keep it organized. I'll do all of the, the, am I the asshole uh, submissions now and then move on to the next one. I think that's probably the best for all of our brains. So let's get into our, am I the asshole segment of this greatest hits. Now that's what I call the bad broadcast episode of the bad broadcast. Okay, here we go. She says, I won't say what type of dogs we have because it'll probably give me away. I got to pause here just for a second. I find this weird because how specific are your dogs? I feel like how would people be able to identify you? Like you must have some very, very unique breeds that nobody else even has or knows about. Because if you saying the type of dogs you have would give away your identity, I don't know. I think that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. I'd like to know what the dogs are. <laughs> anyway, uh, she continues, but my husband had a dog when we got married. We still have her. She's about five years old and just great. Last year, we decided to add a puppy to the family. So this must be, this must be dog number three. Can't really figure it out. Going on. We are 18 months in and I so regret getting her. She's destructive, so high energy, and just a lot on all fronts. She stresses me out. We've tried everything except paying for a training facility, which is thousands of dollars to essentially put her in a dog training boot camp for a month in a facility. And it's about $4,000, which is a lot for us right now. We walk her daily. We play with her. We've tried to train her at home and she just doesn't listen or learn like our first dog does. Okay. So this is dog number two and several trainers have tried to work with her, but it's just never worked. The only thing we've been successful with is crate training and house training. That's, that's good news though. That is good news. Everything else is out the window. Mind you, we have two medium slash largest size dogs. Okay. See, I don't, is this dog number three or dog number two? I can't tell. I can't tell. Anyway, I've never in my life rehomed a pet, but I'm dying here. My stress levels are peak at all times. We don't have kids, but I'm worried for when we do since this dog is like a bull in a china shop and doesn't pay any care to small children and being gentle, whereas our other dog does. It's just a natural instinct. I want to rehome the second dog so bad, but my husband is refusing, saying she's a permanent member of the family. He also won't consider saving up for the training boot camp. So basically in his eyes, things just need to stay the same but I can't keep doing this. Like the thought of having her for another 10 plus years makes me want to cry. 
Our second dog would be so much happier with a family or a farm or some land so she can get all of her energy out. I feel like we aren't giving her what she needs. Am I the asshole for wanting to rehome her? I, okay, when all growing up, there's, there's just a little tangent about my life. My whole entire life, I was like, I don't want any pets. I never want to have a pet. I don't want a dog. I don't like cats. I don't even want to fish. I'm like, was anti-pet. And then I married a, an animal guy. An, an animal, mushed all those words together. I married an animal advocate. And we ended up getting our first cat, Tofu. You guys know this. And I love my cat. And then we got our second cat, Soybean. And we love our two cats. We absolutely love them. And because I love animals now and I love pets, I do think that they should be in homes where they're having all of their needs met. And it's feeling like this dog needs some serious high energy parents or little kids to run around with. And I don't know, I personally don't think it's an asshole move to rehome your dog when you feel like they could receive better care somewhere else. Big, big time against just like dumping them off on somebody or taking them to a shelter or giving them back, like any, anything like that. Genuinely wanting to rehome a dog because you think that you're, you can't give them what you need. Like that's kind of why we don't have a dog because we live in a townhome and I feel like a dog just should have a yard. Like I feel like that's how dogs are. Cats, they don't need a yard. They just need like a ledge and a soft blanket and that's all they really need. But with a dog, I totally get it why people rehome or wait to get them or whatever. So yeah, I don't think you're the asshole. And I think that being unrealistic about what you can handle with a pet is actually worse for the pet. Like to push through it and be like, yes, we, we can do this. It's fine. It's fine. But if it's making you miserable and you're not as good of a, a pet parent as you could be, I say rehome. I say rehome. I'm sure I'll get people who will disagree with me on that. But I think if the animal can be happier somewhere else, it's worth it. I'm pro animal here, guys. I'm not saying give, give the dog away. I'm saying take care of the dog as best you know how. Okay, next. Next day, am I the asshole submission? She says, I have a friend who overstays her welcome and can't take a hint to leave. I enjoy our conversations, but sometimes they drag on. I had a baby a year ago and she came to visit me like a good friend does, but she stayed for hours. Here I was with a new baby and my other daughter who was acting out to get attention, all while trying to be a good host and keep up with the conversation. She wasn't even offering to hold the baby or anything. She just watched me struggle to juggle both of them and her. She didn't seem to notice that I was getting stressed and I just needed her to leave. Nope. She just waited for me to come back from dealing with my toddler and continued talking. This happened a couple of times and every time my anxiety was through the roof after she left. Now I don't want her to, now I don't want her to come over and I try to avoid it altogether. Am I the asshole? And how do you politely kick people out? I mean, I don't, I I truly, as much as I hate when people overstay their welcome, I don't think that there's an asshole in this situation. I'm going to go no assholes here. Or maybe you both are. I don't use that answer enough. Uh, I think what's, what's the, what's the abbreviation for it? Oh, it's ESH on Reddit. It's ESH. Everyone sucks here, but I don't think everybody sucks here. Cause it sounds like she's just not catching a hint, which isn't inherently an asshole move. It's just like an annoying thing that people do. But I, whenever I want people to leave, I just say, oh my gosh, I forgot. I got to go pick something up. Just, you don't have to actually have to go anywhere, but just say, hey, I actually have to run right now and be like, I got to get my kids all ready to go. And we have to go pick up a prescription or something, or we have to go give somebody a ride. Or I forgot my mom's babysitting and I need to take them down to her house. Something like that. That's, I mean, 
<laughs> it's kind of rude. I I wish I had a more upfront way to tell people, but has anything good come up come out of telling somebody to their face like, "Hey, I really want you to leave?" A lot of different options. But I always say, "Oh, I totally forgot. I actually have to leave right now." Is that bad advice? Don't know. It's worked every time for me, so I'm going to pass along that knowledge. <laughs> okay, here's our last am I the asshole before our next segment. She says, this situation has haunted me for years and I cannot decide if I'm the asshole or not. The year is 2014 and my best friend and I are living together in a single bedroom apartment. She's dating the cutest, nicest guy and I'm so happy for her until she starts cheating with him, cheating on him with her toxic ex. I tried encouraging her to leave the ex alone, but she continually hooked up with him. Fast forward a few weeks, her cute boyfriend messages me and basically asks if she's cheating on him. He says he feels like something is up. I tell him if he's worried about it, he should bring it up with her. Shortly after this, I leave for a trip. When I come back, she is moving out and so mad at me. Apparently, her boyfriend showed her our text exchange, and she says I betrayed her because I didn't lie for her. Our friendship was rocky for a while, but things worked out, although we've never been as close as we used to be. So am I the asshole? This is one of this is this falls under that girl code thing that I think is completely made up because I don't think that you should have to lie for anybody. And I think how you handled it is exactly how I would advise people to handle it, saying, you know, you should really just talk to them. However, I would add in that I would go to your friend first and say, hey, heads up, your boyfriend did text me. Here's what I said. I'm not going to lie for you. I'm just going to direct him to you. I'm not comfortable with lying to him. That's the only thing I would add in. So no, seems like she's just major, major asshole vibes. If you cheat on somebody and then you're mad at people finding out, if you do anything wrong and then you're mad at people finding out, uh, that's not on them. You should not do something that you don't want somebody to find out. Does that make sense? Okay. Our next topic that we're covering today, this is kind of, it's kind of like rapid fire, but better. <laughs> it's better than rapid fire. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Newly. All right, summer is here. It's in full swing. And I know we've all got a bunch of different things that we need outfits for. We've got weddings. We've got birthday parties. We've got trips. We've got beach days. We've got lounging around the house. And I have a problem that whenever I have an event coming up, I think I need an entirely new wardrobe. And it truly is so wasteful. And so I've been trying to do better at keeping my shopping down to a minimum and been trying to buy secondhand and thrift, things like that. And Newly is the perfect solution. I can't even tell you how much I love this. I actually have had friends that have used it way before I even partnered with them on the podcast who speak very, very highly of Newly. And now that I've used it, I am a, I am a newly, I'm a newly new believer. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. So for just $88 a month, you'll get your choice of any six styles each month. You can choose whatever you want for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. This is the best part to me because I can rent things that I maybe normally wouldn't wear that I don't want to spend a ton of money on, just different styles of things that I want to see if they look good on me. You can access thousands of styles from more than 300 brands, everything from party dresses to premium denim to vintage pieces, newly stocked styles in a range of sizes from petite to plus sizes up to 5X plus maternity. It is so perfect for building your summer wardrobe. Newly has everything that you need to bring your closet up to speed for the new season. You can say yes to all the summer trends without feeling the fast fashion ick. 
It's fun, it's sustainable, and you'll save money in the process. It's also flexible. There's no fees, no late fees, damage fees, fees to pause or cancel. So it's no big deal if you lose a button or you spill something or you just need to take a break. Newly is already a great value at $88 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get $10 off of your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code BAD10. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code BAD10 and sign up to get $10 off of your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's, with code BAD10. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dipsy. All right. Did you guys know that you're allowed to switch things up whenever you feel like it with anything? You know what I mean? Like maybe yesterday you're listening to country music, but today you're really into hip hop. Or maybe you're usually into brownies, but now you could really go for some ice cream. With Dipsy, you can always choose what feels good in the moment because Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. Maybe you're not quite sure what the answer to either of those are. Maybe you want to do a little bit of self-exploration. You know what I'm saying? Dipsy has new content every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and they also offer written stories. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or maybe heat things up with a partner. So for listeners of The Bad Broadcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com bad. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com bad. Let me spell that for you. It's D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash bad. One more time. That's dipsystories.com slash bad. All right, we're going on to our Judge Maddie topic, our Judge Maddie segment, which I just remember we're rebranding to Murphy's Law and I keep forgetting. Okay, Murphy's Law, but my title is still Judge Maddie. We're just, we're calling the segment Murphy's Law. She says, Honorable Judge Maddie, I'm so glad you opened this up. I'm putting this under the Judge Maddie portion, but I can't decide if it should stay here or go under worst in-law. Regardless, I had a baby three months ago and damn it, I worked hard for my baby. Nine months of growing him and being sick and uncomfortable. Like, I'm going to do a little pause here. Why do people act like growing a human is like a passive activity? Like, it's just like you don't have to put any effort in and it just grows in your body. I hate when people act like that. When people are like, well, you don't really have to do anything for it while you're pregnant. Mm, What? That's like saying, well, you don't really have to do anything when you drive a car. It just like does it. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You have to do a lot of things to make that car go. Cargo, cargo. Okay. Continuing on, then pushing him out of my vagina and tearing and now being more mentally and physically drained than ever in my whole life. I think I've earned the right to call him mine. Not like I had to earn it. He's literally my son. Anyway, anytime we go see my mother-in-law, within seconds, I hear a little holler. Where's my baby? Excuse me. She exclusively calls him my baby more than his actual name. I instantly start sweating and just feel my teeth grinding together. I'm pretty sure your son, my husband, was your baby. This is your grandson. Grandson. 
It's seriously so off-putting and I dread going over there because I just can't stand it. I am being, am I being absolutely ridiculously crazy? I know she's well-intentioned, but it just hits me in the wrong way and I need another opinion. So we talk a lot about like mother-in-law behavior on this show because I'm hoping like maybe if I just really hammer this topic home, maybe one day somebody's mother-in-law will listen to this and think, oh my gosh, I genuinely thought I had a claim on my son's and daughter-in-law's child. I thought that was my baby. Thank you, Maddie, for telling me that it's not in fact my baby and I don't have a right to call him my baby. I mean, here's the thing. Do I think it's the worst thing a mother-in-law could ever do? No. I have a niece. Her name's Georgia. We're all obsessed with her and I always call her my Georgie. Every time I see her, I say, where's my Georgie? And now that I'm thinking about it, she, she doesn't belong to me. Definitely not. So I could work on that. And do I think it's the worst thing that our mother-in-law could do? No. Do I understand your, your rage about it? Sure. Sure. So my official judge ruling is that I don't know if I would, if I would skewer this mother-in-law the same way I would say the mother-in-law that showed up on the honeymoon night to spend the night in the hotel with the newly married couple. So that's kind of where I stand here. It's not insane. I understand the rage. You're justified in it. I hope it gets better. Was that diplomatic? Did I do a good job? Perfect. Next, Murphy's Law, Judge Maddie's submission. My friend and I have this argument so often. I, a normal person, eat dinner around 5 p.m. every night. She and her family routinely have dinner at 9 p.m. Who is right? I have the best news. First dinner is at 5. And second dinner is at 9. Boom. Both right. Next case. This is called the battle of the nudes. She says, this one is important. My husband and I are in a debate about what makes a noodle a noodle. I say that noodles are essentially long and skinny. For example, ramen, that's a noodle. Spaghetti, that's a noodle. Fettuccine, that's a noodle. But other shaped pastas like bow tie or ravioli, definitely not a noodle. My husband disagrees. His philosophy is that any form of pasta qualifies as a noodle. He would call tortellini, lasagna, orzo, even spaghettios noodles. To him, pasta is simply a subgroup of noodle. I'm going to do this. I'm going to Google define noodle. Hold, please. Uh Uh-oh. A strip, ring, or tube of pasta or a similar dough made with egg and usually eaten with a sauce or in a soup. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, I was on the fence with this. Me and Lucy have had this conversation before. I was on the fence, but I do think all, I mean, it says a strip, ring, or tube. That includes basically every type of pasta, no? A ring or two. Okay, no, that does not include, okay, the plot thickens. We get on dictionary.com and it says, a narrow. all it says is a narrow strip of unleavened egg dough that has been rolled thin and dried, boiled, and served alone in soups or casserole, or it's a ribbon-shaped pasta. You know, I actually, I stand corrected here because I would have called any type of pasta a noodle, but I do think that just the long, thin ones are noodles. My whole, my whole world is collapsing right now. Not really sure what to do with this information, but um, I guess we're just going to have to go with the facts. And as an honorable judge of the court, I have to go with, you are correct, that the long, thin 
pasta is considered noodles and everything else is just pasta. All right. I'm glad we settled that. I will no longer make that mistake. Okay. Court is closed because we're moving into our next section, which is a fan favorite, Petty Petty Princess. First up, I had a boy friend in high school who had a girlfriend but would call me on weekends at midnight or when she was out of town so we could make out. I know, ew, but the girlfriend was mean to me and didn't like me and would glare at me every time I saw her, so I didn't care. Anyway, it was Valentine's Day and he hadn't planned anything to do with his girlfriend that night. So I said I would plan it for him. I called a restaurant. What? Okay. What? Uh, This is like, okay, let me finish the story and then I want to have a word with you. So... She says, I called the restaurant and made a reservation and purposely put the reservation under my name. So what that so when they got there, he would have to say my name out loud. And I knew that it would piss her off. They broke up a few weeks later. So there's that. OK, yes, that is that is petty. I get that. But I would love to revisit you being available at midnight all the time for him to call you up and come over and, and you know, get romantic with it. And then you volunteer to plan his Valentine's Day date with someone else? Girl, come on. Come on. He did not deserve you. He got both girls and one of them was making his plans for him. And then he got to have a girlfriend to go do things with. And then when she was out of town, he got to hang out with you. That is no. That is a big no from me. I I know that wasn't the point of the story, but I'm upset with you. I'm upset with you for accepting that into your life. Okay. Moving along, next Petty Petty Princess. A few years ago, on my birthday, my best friend texted me about her wedding and everything I had to do to make it her perfect day. My birthday is in March and her wedding was in July. Throughout the day, I kept telling myself she's going to feel so dumb when she finds out it's my birthday. I can't wait for the apology slash happy birthday text. Nope, never happened. She just kept texting me throughout the day about her wedding and how she needed me to make everything perfect for her. Well, fast forward to her birthday a month later. What do I do? I text her, but not happy birthday. It was honestly so lame and had nothing to do with her because I'm that petty, petty princess. A few years have gone by and her wedding was just a memory. I continue to text her on her birthday, anything but happy birthday because no one makes my birthday about them. That is my day. I always get a big influx of petty, petty birthday queens. Like you guys love claiming your birthday. I love my birthday too. I'm not going to lie. I do. I do love it. And I even feel offended. Like even when I'm at the store on my birthday or something. And the cashier like doesn't know it's my birthday. Why am I offended by that? I'm like, you're just going to check out my groceries and ask me how my day is going and not double check that it's not my birthday. Like you should probably, you should probably do that. (laughs) So I understand. Okay. This is actually something my ex-husband did to me. Get ready. A little backstory. He was supposed to file our divorce papers, but he backed out and told me I had to do it if I wanted a divorce. So I told him that I was going to do it because I wanted the divorce. Duh. In the process of telling him this, I also mentioned that I had left a Lululemon bag at his parents' house a while back and he and asked if he could get it for me. He freaked out and started saying things like, you care more about that bag than you do our marriage, stuff like that. Mind you, this man emotionally abused me until I had no sense of self-identity anymore. Anyway, he blocked my number and I moved on with my day. But then the next morning I walked out to my car and guess what was on my windshield? A Ziploc bag full of every love note I had ever written him and written on the front (laughs) with a Sharpie was Lululemon with the logo. I decided to react in the way that would drive him crazy by doing nothing. 
I didn't email him. My number was blocked. I didn't DM him. I just pretended like it didn't happen. So I didn't give him the reaction he wanted. It was the pettiest thing I've ever experienced. And it makes me laugh to this day. That is pretty killer. And also that what she just talked about reacting with nothing that drives people absolutely bonkers. People who put a ton of effort into ruining your day and then just having no response because there's really no other reason why somebody would do something like that. Like that. They want to ruin your day. They want to fluster you. They want to make sure they're in your head. And when that doesn't happen, I feel like it's uno reverse. You know what I mean? Right back at them, drives them nuts. Great life advice. Okay, next petty petty princess, and then we'll go on to our next subject. Next segment. I called my coworker a petty petty princess because she was being petty, and instead of telling me she was mad at me, she told on me, and then later came into a, into work with a shirt that says, "I speak fluent petty." <laughs> I will say that is probably the number one thing I don't miss about all of my jobs. I had so many amazing coworkers that I loved still to this day, friends I've made and I will love till the end of time. But man, what's harder than a tough coworker? We're going to get into bad bosses in a little bit. Don't you worry. But for now, we're going to move on to section. Is this four? Oh, buddy. We've got a lot of episode left. I can feel it. This might be my longest episode ever. Okay, let's go on to is this ick? Number one, and I want to say this has given me the biggest ick of anything I've ever read. He said he went through a phase in high school where he would walk everywhere on his hands. Okay, just let that sink in. Think if you were dating or engaged or married to a guy who would walk on his hands a lot in high school. Divorce, jail, Timbuktu, Alcatraz. I don't know. I don't know where to put those people anywhere but here, anywhere but but near me. Okay, next. I'll be short and sweet, but can we talk about the weird issue of when sisters have crushes on their brothers? Very ick. We talk about how moms act like they're in love with their sons, and that's a problem of its own. But in addition to that, I have seen way too many girls post about their brother as if he is their significant other. We get it. He's funny and you like him, but don't make it weird by posting photos of you two constantly and showing videos of what he's doing. There's a line. And I know a handful of people that post way too regularly about their brothers when that doesn't seem to be their job. Is that me? Is it just me or is it weird? I feel like I only see this with little brothers. I feel like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just being defensive because I have all older brothers and I don't feel that way about any of them. <laughs> Maybe when I was younger, maybe when I was like a kid and my brothers were playing sports and I thought they were just like so, so, so cool. I still think they're very cool, but I do see this a lot with little brothers. People being like, I don't know how I'm going to let this kid go, you know, and like when they go to college or like get a girlfriend or something. I agree with you. I have one specific person in mind that this uh, has been a real problem for me to observe. <laughs> big ick, big ick. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Liquid IV. The hot, 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 sweaty summer months are upon us, and we need to be proactive about keeping our bodies fueled and hydrated. You guys know how much I love staying hydrated and also reminding you guys to be hydrated. It's one of my favorite things because it's so easy and it makes you feel so good. 
who knew? I have liquid IV on me at all times. It's in basically every cupboard at my house. It comes with me on every trip, every time we go to dinner, every party I go to, I've always got liquid IV. I feel like a parade float that just throws out candy, except I throw out liquid IV. Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It also has five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C, and it has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. It's also amazing to take if you're not feeling well because of those electrolytes. What makes Liquid IV so effective? It is the science of CTT, cellular transport technology, which is designed to enhance rapid absorption of water and other key ingredients into the bloodstream. So grab your Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code BAD at checkout. That's 25% off of anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code BAD at liquidiv.com. Are you going on date after date and still not finding the one or getting a text back? Well, you're probably doing something wrong. And I am here to tell you exactly what that is. I'm Lindsay Metzler and I host We Met at Acme. It's a dating podcast that gives you all the rules and guidelines that you need to date successfully. Hey, it worked for me and now I'm married. So you really should give it a listen if you haven't already. And you can also hear the horrors of dating. Everything that you want to hear is in We Met at Acme. So check it out. Okay, next. Now, this isn't my relationship, but a close family member's. We were at a parade on the 4th of July, and this grown man would try to beat all the kids to the candy. Like, he was full on sprinting and lightly shoving kids out of the way to get the candy slash toy that was being thrown. Hmm? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Then he would go and put it in his wife's lap. I don't know if it was just the heat that had me in a bad mood, but if it really was an ick. Any adult who behaves in a way that puts them on the same level as a toddler or somebody under the age of like 12, big ick, big ick. You should never, if you're participating in something like that and you think, hmm, are the people around me my age or are they significantly younger than me? That's when you need to reevaluate. I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying this is a coverall. You guys know I love a Pixar movie and a mini corn dog. I'm not hating on doing things that little kids also do. I'm saying that if you're in a group activity and all of the people around you are toddlers, that's probably when it's time to be done with that. I actually had this experience because my family went to one of those trampoline places this last week. And for about four seconds, I was jumping on the tramp with 12 year olds. And I I couldn't look myself in the eye for about three days after it was, I couldn't believe it. And then I was like, I like did a trick. I did a trick and I thought it was cool. Oh, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to talk about the fact that I did this. Okay. Let's get into some bad dates, shall we? Man, we haven't done this one for a while. We need a full episode of this very soon. Okay. First, she says, Maddie, I went on a first date with this guy a couple years back. When he came to pick me up, there were a bunch of full bottles in his car. After a little bit, I was curious and I asked why he keeps so many full bottles in his car. He responds by saying, oh, I'm on the road a lot. They're actually full of pee because I don't like stopping to use the restroom. 
you could not throw them away for the date, sir. Needless to say, the date did not last long and I never saw him again. Just let's do a just let's do a little immersion therapy right now. Close your eyes. Okay. Well, not if you're driving, but close your eyes and imagine getting into somebody's car. Okay. Got a bunch of bottles in the back seat. You ask them what they are. It's just their urine. It's just bottles and bottles of weeks old urine. I'm actually positive that people have been declared criminally insane from less. That's that's beyond. That's beyond. All right. Next bad date. So I feel I just have to say I know better than to do this. But now, oh, wait, let me start that over. So I feel like I have to say I know better than to do this now. But once I went on a date with a kid, I barely knew because I felt like I should give him a chance, even though I was not interested even a little bit. So we went first to this carnival put on by the city and I ended up running into a guy friend from high school and I asked how he was doing and my date got super ticked and basically dragged me away, even though this was the first time I was really sp- the first time I was really spending with this guy. We went to the store to buy some ingredients to make dinner and he was being really weird and controlling about the quote unquote budget for what we were making. We went back we went back to his house and proceeded to make dinner for us and turns out his whole family while we were cooking. He was bossing me around and kept telling me I was doing things wrong. We ate dinner with his sister and parents while they kept trying to tell me stories about my date like we had been dating for a while. I kept trying to get my date to take me home and he kept putting it off, but he finally took me home. Before that, each member of his family gave me a prolonged hug, even his dad. Horrible night, big ick vibes, makes me cringe thinking about how weird his family was acting and how controlling he was. This is a great thing to remember that when you're dating somebody, especially on a first date, that is their maximum niceness. That is like when you're dating somebody and they're treating you really, really well. I'm not saying that when you get married, it's going to go down. I'm just saying that people are usually on their very best behavior on your first dates or like in the early days of dating. So if as the relationship goes on, that dips a little bit, it better still be in that green zone of like extremely nice. I'm not saying they have to like cater to you every moment of every day like they usually do in the first months of dating. But I'm saying that they should always be in the in the green zone. So if they start off in the yellow or red zone, you can bet that the more you get to know them and the longer you date them, the meaner they're going to be. If on your very first date, he's bossing you around. Imagine what he's going to do when he really gets to know you. Imagine. Just remember that. Also, other people's dads hugging me. No, thank you. Okay, next one. I once went on a date with a guy who asked me if I drink milk when I eat dinner. I told him sometimes and he could not let it go. We we could not talk about a single other topic without him saying something like, sorry, I'm trying to focus on what you're saying, but I can't get over the fact that you drink milk. He acted like it was a major personality trait of mine, something he just could not get past. When we were done with the date, he gave me a high five and said, I don't think this can go any further. I just turned around and walked away. Good riddance. He doesn't deserve me or my milk. I, uh, I hate to side with the guy on this. I really do. And honestly, I actually don't side with him because mentioning, mentioning it over and over again is weird. So that's on him. But why do you drink milk with dinner? Like, are people just out here like pouring glasses of milk and drinking them? Like just plain, like just on its own, like with a savory meal, like you would have like a taco and wash it down with milk. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> that does not seem okay. 
Okay, let's go on to in-laws. Let's get some bad in-law stories up in, up in here. First up, last month, my in-laws scheduled family pictures. Since I'm writing this, I'm sure you can guess we aren't on great terms with them. So we didn't want to go in the first place, but we went anyway. Big mistake. My mother-in-law had me stand on the edge in every picture away from my kids. So weird. The whole time, it was so uncomfortable. Weeks later, we asked to see the pictures, and my in-laws said they hadn't received them yet. But my sister-in-law had posted one of her individual family from the shoot, so we knew they did. Finally, we got them to admit that they had them, and they sent them to us. And surprise, I was cropped out of every single one. They literally would not acknowledge it, like, at all. Then I was on Venmo and saw a transaction from my mother-in-law to our photographer (laughs) that said, bonus for the scissors emoji. (laughs) So I decided I'm going to frame 25 pictures of myself, wrap them individually, and give them to my in-laws for Christmas this year. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so blatant. Mother-in-laws have absolutely no shame, man. When they don't like you, they're going to actually crop you. They're going to pay somebody to crop you out of family photos. That is, that is bold. Okay. Next in-law story. Some background first. When my husband was a teen, his mom co-signed on a bank account for him. And after all these years, she was still on it. When we got married and combined our bank accounts, we went to the bank and had her removed from our account, or so we thought. Me and my husband had been married for over two years. I happened to be out of town and my husband was hanging out at his parents. His dad was telling him how they had X amount of money in their bank account that was burning a hole in their pocket and he needed some some ideas. Okay, I got to start that over. Me and my husband had been married for over two years. I happened to be out of town and my husband was hanging out at his parents. His dad was telling him how they had X amount of money in their bank account that was burning a hole in their pocket and he needed some ideas on how to spend it. That's when his mom chimed in and said, well, that's how much they have in their account. My husband looked at his mom in shock and was so confused how she would even know that. Turns out she was never removed from our bank account and let two years go by before mentioning it to us. Then when she did bring it up, it was to tell my father-in-law how much money we had. I am super private about finances and it was so violating knowing that she had a front row seat for two whole years without us knowing. It has taken me some serious time to get over it. I would never get over it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. There are some things I just want to go get over. That is so violating. I just, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could. Having, like, knowing that my mother-in-law had access to everything I had purchased in the last two years, that's, that's like, more violating to me than, like, knowing how much money you have. It's like knowing where you spend your money. Yucky. Yuck. Okay, next one. Before I read this one, I I have to add in. So this one isn't uh, like the whoever submitted it does not have caps like auto capitalization on on their phone. And for some reason, every time I get these submissions with all lowercase letters, I know that they are from the most delightfully unhinged people. I just know it. I can't explain it. But when I see no caps, I'm like, they're not well. And I'm going to love this story. And I'm right because I do love this one. Hi, Maddie. I cannot believe I'm even writing this, but here we go. For starters, my mother-in-law is 65 and obsessed with the band BTS. She goes to their concerts, calls calls them her boyfriends, and makes comments like their skin is so clear. She talks about them 24-7, and she has a fetish for them that I've never seen. It's beyond problematic and strange. But the real kicker is my partner's dad has Parkinson's and can't do that much anymore. So she'll leave him and go spend thousands of dollars on trips, and she will make fun of him to see if we are laughing and purposely humiliates him in front of others. 
Lastly, she has not a single idea of her own. And if I say I like something, she likes it. If she's talking about something she likes and I say, oh, I don't like that. She says, oh yeah, me neither. All of this has sent my partner and I into couples counseling because this has to be stopped. So let's sum this up. She's got a BTS obsession, no real personality, and she purposely makes fun of her husband who has Parkinson's. Hmm. It's a new, uh, it's a new low for a mother-in-law. I gotta say, I mean, we, we hear about a lot of dumb things that mothers-in-law do, but that to me feels like she's the meanest person alive. Does it not? This one's another classic mother-in-law thing. Unfortunately, I read this one all the time. A few weeks after my husband and I got married, we were staying at his parents' house for the weekend. We were horny newlyweds, but would wait until the middle of the night. Then when everyone is asleep, when everyone was asleep to do anything, I gotta say, maybe you should do it during the day. I feel like, like it's when it's not quiet, you know, like when people are out and about anyway. So it's like 2am, we have completed the task and I go out of the room to pee. When I open the door, my mother-in-law is standing in the dark hallway outside the bedroom door. That's a jump scare. It scared me. So I ran back into the room and told my husband his mother was out there. He asked her what she was doing. And she said, I heard something and I wanted to make sure you were okay. Use your brain. Use your brain. What do you think your newlywed son and his wife are doing? <sighs> All right, let's do a couple, a couple roommate, a couple roommate horrors. One roommate I had decided to have sex for the first time while we were all away for Christmas break in each one of our beds, then proceeded to laugh cry while telling us. Okay, normal behavior. Next, I had a roommate who truly had no idea how to function as an adult. This is by far the worst offense, though. I was getting ready for class one day and went to the bathroom only to find that the toilet was overflowing and there were actual pieces of poop all over the floor. And all my roommate had done was put one square of toilet paper on top of each piece of poop. I absolutely was not going to take care of that. So I told her she had to clean it up and needed to put in a maintenance request to get the toilet fixed. She proceeds to use one of her bath towels to clean it up, which I assume she's now going to throw away. Nope. She puts it oh, directly in the washing machine, poop and all. I could not understand why it didn't clean it. Hmm. Hmm. It alarms what's like when I read these roommate stories, it does it does shock me how many full adults just really don't know how to exist in the real world. I will say I was a sheltered kid. I had parents who took care of everything for me. And when I moved out, I had no clue what I was doing. But the worst thing I ever did was like put dish soap in the dishwasher instead of instead of like the detergent or whatever. So it all overflowed with bubbles. I definitely wouldn't just leave poop on the floor like a sociopath. Oh, okay. Next roommate one. Hey girl, love the podcast and can't wait for Mondays. This roommate horror story didn't happen to me, but to my sister-in-law, she had just moved to LA to start a master's program and found a roommate wanted listing online. It was all she could find that was in her budget. So she moved in with three random girls who were complete strangers. They all worked full time and they were usually out with friends most nights. So she hardly ever saw them. No big deal. She shared a room with one of them. And after a month or two, she said her room started smelling really bad. She would gag walking into her room and it was hard to sleep. The smell kept getting worse and worse. One day when her roommate was at work, my sister-in-law had enough and started searching the whole room. She didn't want to invade her roommate's privacy and didn't want to pry into her things, but she just absolutely had to find the smell and take care of it. After searching for a while, my sister-in-law found a grocery bag under her roommate's bed full of used tampons. An entire grocery bag filled to the top with used tampons. Her roommate had saved every tampon she used and put them all in this bag. My sister-in-law immediately ran the bag out to the dumpster, then ran to the toilet and threw up. She never said a word about it to her roommate, and her roommate never mentioned it either. 
At least the smell was gone. My sister-in-law found a new place and moved out a week later. I bet she was selling them. I bet she was selling them on the dark web. I swear. I swear she was. Why else would anybody do that? And there are, there are places that will buy that. I know it sounds like I'm making it up, but rule whatever of the internet, if there's, if it exists, then somebody has a fetish for it. And I bet she found some dark web, nasty place that was looking for bloody tampons. And I bet she was going to sell them. That's my theory. And now I'm sick. And now we need to move on to bad bosses. I literally had a boss yell at me. Are you stupid or just a woman? Okay. Well, I think I quit. I quit my life. I quit. I quit existing. I quit interacting with men forever. That's my, that's my final straw. That's the straw that broke me. After two years of reading these stories, that one, for some reason, the phrasing of that, are you stupid or just a woman? I would say so many expletives right now if I didn't think that everybody would yell at me. Okay, this next boss story, I feel like I've heard, okay, I shouldn't say anything because whatever. I worked at a popular barbecue restaurant for over a year. Honestly, I was only there to try and stag myself a football player since the owner was really close with the local university's athletic program. Anyway, the owner was a total pig. He only hired young women. He split tips based on who he liked most. He constantly talked about how much he hated his wife and wished that he could be with someone young and fun like us girls. He would send you home to change if you didn't have on short enough shorts or didn't have your hair or makeup done. I wanted to quit for so long, but it paid pretty well and I really liked my coworkers. I ended up quitting and being fired on the same day. I tried to share all of this on Twitter and he blocked me and sent all his fanboys after me. I had grown men in my DMs telling me how ugly I am and making really nasty threats. I ended up extremely depressed and anxious and I had to drop out of college. It's been a few years and I'm happy and healthy and working for an incredible company. Hmm. I mean, I feel like barbecue restaurant owners, I can't say that those are the most feminist men I've ever met. (laughs) That is a nightmare. I hope one day I can be somebody's boss because I'm going to rectify all of the dumb shit that male bosses do to their female subordinates. It's absolutely wild. Okay, we've got two more segments in our fun Frankenstein fiasco. Uh, We've got wedding hells and foot and mouth moments. And then we're not even done there. I'm going to talk to you guys all about podcasting. So last week when I said, somebody asked me, they said, why aren't your episodes longer? And I said, well, because statistically people stop listening at an hour. So we're coming up on an hour right now and you guys are about to, uh, you guys are about to be tested to see if these longer episodes are what you want to (laughs) hear. Okay. Let's talk about some wedding hells. These are all things weddings that we hate. Okay. And again, I say this at the beginning of wedding episodes every time. If you like it, do it. I don't care. Okay. She says this story is technically about a honeymoon, but nonetheless, buckle up for a wild ride. I got married super young and my husband and I needed to honeymoon on a budget. We decided on a cruise. I had never booked a trip by myself, so I asked my brother, who has been on several cruises, if he could book it for us. He got it all booked, and then a few days later, he called and said, hey, me and Jane, his girlfriend, not her real name, have been wanting to go on a trip. Do you mind if we come with you guys? I was like, uh, what? But he's, but I said, okay, and figured we wouldn't see them that much being on the huge cruise ship. A few days passed, and he calls again and says, so Jane's mom found out that we're going on the cruise and is really upset because she doesn't want us to share a room. So would you mind if Jane slept in your room and Josh slept in mine? What? I say, absolutely not. This is our honeymoon. The next day, my brother calls again and lets me know that Jane's mom and brother will now be coming on the trip as chaperones. Yep. Chaperoning him and his girlfriend as grown adults. I wish I was making this up. 
So now we have four tagalongs joining us on our honeymoon. We fly into California where the trip starts, and all six of us have to squish into a tiny rental car to get to where the cruise starts. Me and my husband had to ride in the back seat while the chaperones were up front. Here's the grand finale. We get to the cruise and check in where the front desk informs us that my brother had booked us a bunk bed. I used to think that the worst person showing up on your honeymoon was your mother-in-law. It might end up being your brother's girlfriend's mom and brother. (laughs) Okay, uh, let's go on to foot in mouth moments. We're going to do a few of these and then get into some podcast chatting. Okay, she says, I was catching up with my best friend one day. Her little sister is deaf and I knew she had been struggling learning to read and write. So I was asking about that. Then I said, is she going to read Braille? Is she going to learn Braille? My friend just looked at me and said, buddy, she's deaf, not blind. Oh, these foot and mouth moments. I mean, all these topics make me cringe in one way or another, but these ones really take the cake. I told my friend, hey, I like your shirt. I used to have one that looks like that, but I didn't like it. So I got rid of it. I tried to correct the situation by telling her how good it looks on her. And it just didn't look good on me. I'm an idiot. Next. Okay, so I hate myself for this and it keeps me up at night. When I was in seventh grade, my best friend's dad died of a horrible freak accident. After his funeral viewing, why is that so hard to say funeral viewing? Mind you, we were still at the service. He asked to hang out after. My dumbass replied, okay, sounds fun. Do you need to ask your mom or dad's permission to come over? Immediate regret and I am an idiot. I apologized and we did not hang out after the funeral. My friend and I laugh about this now, but I still feel so bad. Side note, why are viewings even a thing? I'm not sure. I, I am not sure, but I, I would love to put this out there publicly. Don't let me have one. I don't want one. Please don't. And also, I'm on the fence about a funeral. I kind of just want everybody to take that money and go to a really nice meal and talk about how awesome I am. That's what I want to be my quote unquote funeral. Okay, this last one <laughs> before I get to the podcast questions. I accidentally said, you know what? I'll just get out of your hair to my bald cancer patient. <laughs> Oh, salt on the wound. Salt on the wound right there. Okay. What a roller coaster. What a what a greatest hits roller coaster. I just felt like I lived eight weeks of episodes in an hour. Let's talk, let's switch gears and talk about podcasting. I said, so I did an episode on what we said with JC, and I talked about how I love sharing my podcast knowledge. And then I, I still get messages about it sometimes. And I, I try to answer as many as I can, but I obviously can't get to every single message. So I think that this is a great, great plan. Great way to reach you guys. I'm going to answer some of the most asked questions. I put a question box up a couple days ago and got some more. And I'm just going to go through these and give you guys my, my answers. I will say, I'm not going to talk anything specific, like about like the money that I make or anything like that. But I do want to be helpful for people who, first of all, are just curious about podcasting and what goes on behind the scenes. And second of all, people who want to start their own podcast. So the first question that I got was, can it actually be as simple as just recording audio and uploading it? To me, yes. And I'm not saying that to make it sound like having a podcast is easy. I work really hard at it. I I spend lots of hours working on my episodes and writing and collecting submissions and thinking of different things and listening back and editing and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't and all of those things. So yes, like running a podcast is not easy, but starting a podcast and uploading it, it is that simple. It is just recording something that you want to talk about and uploading it. I started on Anchor, which is the website I use to upload. And it's really easy. It's really like self-explanatory. You guys will figure it out. You just go to Anchor and you make an account and 
it takes you through how to upload a podcast and it will submit it for you to Apple Podcasts. And then it usually, I will say it usually takes like two weeks before Apple like approves it. And then you can start uploading regularly and then it just goes up with the upload. But you can, it, it will upload to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, like all of the major the major platforms, it will do it for you. So anchors, what I've used, not an ad. They're not, they don't sponsor this. I just, I used them at the beginning of my podcast career up until Dear Media took over and they started uploading on their end. And I'll talk a little bit more about what Dear Media does. I got some questions about that too. Another very common question that I got is how do you build a following? So you have to be consistent. You have to consistently upload episodes. That is huge. You got to make sure that people know when they can expect an episode. Something that helped my following a lot is that I had one video like mid 2020. It was my Utah Brides video. I'm sure that a lot of you have found me that way. I had one video go like semi viral. That super helped the podcast. And then doing like shareable content on Instagram. Not to, not, I don't want to harp on like Instagram tactics because I don't even think that that's necessary. But I did always try and make things that people wanted to share. Like I used to do like things for people to fill out and like answer questions and tag me or like post a picture of your, your prom dress and tag me so I can see it. And just like encouraging people to post things about your content or about a challenge that you gave them, like the prom dress thing. Or I've asked you guys in podcast episodes, like, Hey, if you could post on your Instagram stories that you listen to the podcast, like, it doesn't have to be a secret. You can publicly want to build your following. You can say, Hey, can you guys post this and tag me. I really want to build my podcast following. That's totally normal. You don't have to act like you don't want it to happen. I feel like that's kind of how I was at the beginning. I'd be like, it's fine. I don't really care. Just let it grow totally, totally naturally. I don't want to act like I'm desperate or I'm like fishing for people to compliment the podcast. But then finally, when I would ask you guys, when I would say, Hey, can you guys screenshot and post or post your favorite quote from this episode and tell me, you know, things like that. It's okay to encourage people to do that. That was the biggest thing for the podcasts following. And then also going on other podcasts, volunteering yourself, asking for people to come on your podcast. You guys have asked me, how do you ask people to come on your podcast? I would just email. I would just cold email and say, hey, I have this podcast. If you have time, I'll make any time work for you. I'd love to have you on. And 80% of the time they say no. Uh, One of my early interviews was with Kate Kennedy, who does Be There in Five. She agreed to come on and it was amazing. And I try and say yes to podcasts when people ask me. Like I I always am trying to connect with other podcasters and it's not as scary or as hard as you think it is. It's really just as simple as, Hey, I have a podcast. Do you think I could interview you? And now with things being so remote, it's so easy. You just do a, like a zoom call. You can record that audio. I know people who use StreamYard or Zencaster. There's a lot of different ways to do remote interviews. And that's a really good way of, of building a following. I've learned that a lot of people like coming on podcasts. I didn't know that because it feels like my job. So I'm always like, I don't want to bug people and ask them to come on my podcast, but people really like it and they want to be asked. And yeah, so that is a great, great way to build your following. What mic do you use is another very common question. Let me read it to you. I use a PreSonus PD70, I guess is what that's called. And I use an interface, which is called, which or a thing called an interface. And the, the thing on it says audio box, USB 96, also the ProSonus brand. And I plug both of those into my computer and I record into a program called Logic. Granted, I live with a music guy. I live with a music producer. Matt is Matt has worked in music forever. So did I cheat? Kind of. Most people don't record into Logic. I think this is mostly for music, but it's the program that Matt uses and what he taught me to use. So 
I don't know if that's helpful at all. It's just the truth is that that's what I use to record into. And the next question I got was about my my process of recording. So typically, I'll, like, I'll take the story the story episodes as an example because th- those are my most popular ones. I will. My process for that is that I I make a graphic and I make the Google Doc to ask you guys the question and put it up on my Instagram story. So I do that. And then I usually wait a few days. I let the answers come in. And then I sit down in my studio. I go through all of the all of the answers. I read them all on my own unless there's a ton. Like the travel episode had way too many for me to read on my own. But I will go through and I'll read. And then I will copy and paste the ones that I like. I'll put them in a Word document. And then I'll reread through all of them. I'll make some notes that I want to mention on them or I'll write something about it. And then I will sit down and record. I don't always record all in one sitting or even all in one take. Like sometimes I will record a story and my answer and then I'll pause. I'll stop my recording. I'll read through my next thing, make some notes, go from there. It really just depends on what feels like is going to flow the best that day. Sometimes I write a full script. Sometimes I write, well, I don't do that as much anymore, but in my earlier days, my early days of podcasting two years ago, I would write like word for word everything that I was saying. Now I feel like I can flow a little bit easier. I know what works. I know what I like to say. I know how it sounds on the other end. Now it's a little more natural, but I sometimes still write a script. It just depends on what the topic is. If it's a, uh, if it's a deep dive episode, like an Anna Nicole Smith, I make sure I write a script because I want to get facts right. I don't want to just ad lib, you know, her life story. But the process really does just depend on what what flows the best for you. Then after I record, I <laughs> I thought this question was funny. It said, is it awkward after you finish recording and you're just sitting there in silence? It is sometimes. It is. But I don't regret not having a co-host. That is a common, common question. Do you wish you had a co-host? I love recording with people and I love doing interviews and I love being on people's podcasts but I am very glad that I have my podcast on my own because it just, it's easier for me. I can record whenever I want. want. I don't have to plan around anybody. I don't have to get anybody's approval or input on topics I want to do or things I want to say. And it's just, it's made it much easier for me. I also, for some reason, don't have a problem talking to myself. Like I, I've heard from people, other podcasters who have co-hosts, they're like, how do you just talk without anybody there to talk to? I'm like, I guess this is just what I do all the time. I'm pretty much constantly talking to myself. Also, before I had a podcast, I would like practice, you know, like I would listen to podcasts and I'd be like, that'd be so cool if I had a podcast one day. And I would sit and I would pretend to have a solo podcast. So it feels, it feels natural to me. And I'm, I personally am very, very glad that I, that I did this on my own. I'm also very proud of it, very proud of it. But back to the process of when I'm done recording. So I, I, I stop recording and then I go back and I re-listen to it. Dear Media, who's the who's like the, you know, the company that I'm on there. I don't even know what to call them. Media group, whatever. I'm signed to them. They they handle all of my back end stuff. My producer, Nick, will edit for me. I usually like to do a, a pre-edit. I like to go through and I just edit it, edit the parts that I know I want to take out because it's really easy for me. It's a really it's literally just like a highlight and delete situation. So I will just go through and then if I have anything additional that I need edited, I can pass that on to Nick and he will edit it for me. I do think that it is possible to edit on your own. I know the vast majority of podcasters edit on their own. I'm very, very lucky to have Dear Media's help, but don't let that scare you away. You can YouTube anything, anything that you don't know about the program you're using. Like if you record into GarageBand, you can YouTube how to cut parts out, how to merge 
sound. You can, you can Google or you can YouTube all of that and it'll give you a 30 second tutorial and you can learn it. I swear. I don't mean this in a way of like, I'm stupid and I don't know how to do this, but if I can figure it out, I promise you, you can too. I, I am a level zero computer whiz. I know nothing about audio or chords or anything. I learned once and I just do the same thing every week. I plug the same things in every week. If there's ever a problem, I either have to YouTube it or I do have Matt who's obviously experienced in this stuff. Okay, let's talk money. Let's talk cashola. How do you make it profitable? So when I was at the very beginning, when I was like three or four months into podcasting, I had a lovely, lovely lady named Courtney who is actually the manager of Kate Kennedy, she was willing to take a call with me and kind of go through how I could begin to monetize my podcast. And I'll share with you guys how that process works. So podcast ad pricing. So I make, uh, the money that I make is off of ads. It's off of ads and merch. That's the, those are the two things that the podcast brings in. Th- those are the two streams of revenue that the podcast brings in, I should say. So when you are wanting to monetize your podcast, the best way to do that, in my opinion, is ads. You can also obviously do paid content like Patreon if that's what you want to do. But if you're wanting to sell ads, the way that people will gauge their prices is something called CPM. CPM stands for cost per mill or it's it's M-I-L-L-E. It's not mill like million. It's a French word for some reason that means thousand. So think of it like cost per thousand. That is the way people will price how much you can charge. Usually CPMs range from like $45 to $65, which means you can charge $45 to $65 per 1,000 listens that you're getting. I'm I'm really hoping that makes sense. So say you're getting 2,000 listens on a podcast. If you are charging, if your CPM is 50 bucks, you can charge $100 for an ad because you're it's per 1,000 listens. Oh, that was a lot of math, but I feel like you guys will probably get what I mean. The next part is that you got to reach out to brands. That's something that I have had no experience in. So at the beginning of my podcast, I hired a manager to help me with that. Her name was Sam. She was incredible. She helped me get my very first ads. When I got onto Dear Media, I ended up just moving on to that on my own and not working with a manager anymore. But that's kind of their job. So if you are not experienced in brand outreach and that's not something you're comfortable with, that's something that you can hire somebody for and pay them a percentage of what they bring in. Say you hire a manager to facilitate all of your brand deals, you, then you too can negotiate a percentage of what they can make off of the ads that they bring in. So it's not, I mean, in some maybe some people want to be paid hourly or be on a salary. I couldn't afford to pay somebody at the beginning, so I could only afford to pay a percentage of what I was making. Also, maybe you are just getting 100, 200 listens. That doesn't mean that it's not possible to monetize. You might just work with smaller companies. Maybe it's local companies. I worked with a bunch of local companies at the very beginning until my listenership started getting higher and more consistent. Then I could start working with bigger brands. I've heard a benchmark in the industry is that people are looking for between 10 and 15,000 listens a week. I know that sounds like a lot, but don't get discouraged because it's possible and you can grow to there. And it's not that you have to get there before you start monetizing. You can make money off of it before. Patreon is another great way. Have people subscribe to your content. Then maybe you can build on that and then do free content with ads. Like you, there's, there's always a way. There's always a way to monetize. And especially in podcasting, it's kind of the wild west. And I think that a lot of brands are excited about advertising on podcasts. So pitch yourself. Don't, don't be scared. Don't be scared of, of emailing people. 
do you know how many how many uh, brands I've emailed that they literally just email me back and say absolutely not? They don't say they're nice about it. But I like two weeks ago, like literally two. This just happened to me. I'm trying to redo my bedroom, and so I was looking for like home decor places to partner with, and every single one of them said no. They all said no to me. I was like, all right, cool, <laughs> cool. I guess that's uh that one's not gonna work. So don't worry about people saying no. If they don't want to advertise with you. It's fine. It's fine. You'll find somebody who will. Next question. How do I speak without using filler words? I don't know. I use a lot of filler words. I say like, I say, oh, wait, hold on. I do a a lot of filler words. I think Nick edits a lot of them out for me. (laughs) But if you are having a problem with filler words, a script is going to help you a lot. And you can read it. Nobody has to know you're reading a script. When I I could point out episodes that I'm reading a script and I feel like people don't usually know. Oh, I hope. So read a script and you can make it you can make it sound natural and then you can leave out those those filler words. Do I feel like podcasts need a theme? Uh, I don't. My my podcast started off. I was like, I'm gonna do this like whole negativity thing. This like uh this like talk shit vibe. And I don't always do that. I don't, I do deep dives now. I do things like whatever makes me feel happy that week. That's what I want to talk about. And I know people still kind of like brand this as like a complaining podcast, but I don't even feel like that's like the main theme anymore. So no, I mean, I think niches, niches, niches are great. And sometimes I wish I had one. I wish I had a niche interest to do a podcast on. I just don't have one. I don't have anything specific that I could talk about endlessly. So I didn't want to put myself in that box. And I don't think you have to, unless you have something that you really, really specifically want to talk about. Don't put your pressure, don't put your pressure, don't put pressure on yourself. Okay. How do you find intro music? There are a lot of different places you can find intro music. You can find royalty free music that you can add into your podcast. You can also look for somebody, maybe like a local person, a local artist, or somebody that you know, who's into music producing, uh, Mine is Matt. (laughs) Mine is Matt. But Matt works with a bunch of different guys and knows a bunch of guys who are always wanting like to do custom work. And you can usually pay somebody a pretty, I mean, a pretty affordable amount to make you a quick 30 second intro. I'm not volunteering Matt for that, by the way. I know I've had people that are like, well, Matt, write my intro music. He he doesn't do that as his job. He works in music. I just happen to weasel my way into him getting mine (laughs) or weasel my way into him making mine. But there are a lot. I would, I would start with royalty free music. Like if you look up royalty free music, that's just stuff that you can either use on its own. You can sometimes buy production music and you don't have like, you won't run into like copyright things or anything like that. That's my, my best advice. But if you know somebody who's into the music scene, they would probably happily take on a custom project, you know, and make you a little intro song. That's my that's my advice there. Do I listen to my own episodes when they come out? I don't ever do that. That sounds like a nightmare to me. People ask all the time, "Are you going do you ever get used to the sound of your own voice?" No. Nope, still not used to it. I found out things that I that I can tell that I what am I trying to say? There are things that I say that I that I like, like that I hear and I'm like, "Oh, that that worked" or like that was funny but I never sit and listen through my episodes. I listen through them when I edit them and then never again. I will sometimes have friends listen through them and tell me if there's anything that needs to be taken out, but I myself just don't enjoy that process. I don't like doing that, so so I don't do it. Uh, are there any episodes you've recorded and not used? Yes, yes, there are several, several. Not for any like juicy reasons, just because I either thought 
I can remember I did one forever ago, a couple years ago, where it was like most irrational fear. And it was like so dark. It was like so dark and creepy and I just didn't want to do it. Uh, sometimes I record and I just think I sound boring or bored and I want to redo it. I there, There's been several that I've recorded and not used. So yeah, that happens. That happens sometimes. Uh, I actually wanted to get into this because I feel like I've, I've come a long way with this and I want to, I want to share my, share my knowledge, spread my knowledge seed. And it's, what do you actually think of negative reviews? And let me tell you where I started off. So when I got my very first negative review, it ruined me like for like, not in a funny way. Like it really, I called so many of my friends and my family members trying to talk me down. I told Matt I wanted to quit it. It really really hurt me like deeply. I didn't even know who it was from. It I can still remember what it said. I can still remember what it said. It said, I knew Maddie in high school and she was always the mean girl. Like that's what it said. It wasn't even about me now and it wasn't even about the podcast, but man, it wrecked me. And it took me up until probably the last two months to just realize that if I were to sit down and take into account every single negative review, and cater to every single change. I I want to make changes. I want to I want to have critique and feedback. Like if you guys are not like like the love hate thing. Remember when I was doing the love hate segment at the beginning of the episodes? I got a lot of feedback that people were like, "This is too long and it's really boring." And I'm like, "All right, let's ditch it. Let's not do it anymore." So any feedback like that, I'm I'm happy to do that. But if I were to sit down and cater to every piece of feedback I got, I would have no podcast. It would never exist. I would, I would I'm never going to be able to have a podcast that makes every single person that listens happy. And I know that there's people who don't like my interview episodes and they only listen to the story submissions or they don't like my deep dives and they only, you know, like there's always going to be people who don't like every episode. And that was very weird to me because when I started my podcast, I was like, I'm so excited to have the first podcast that everyone loves that nobody has ever hated. Isn't that amazing? And I just have come to terms with the fact that it's not even realistic or even fun. Like I want to do what sounds fun to me and I want to do the topics that interest me and I want to talk about the things I like. And I just have had to come to terms with the fact that I'm not going to make everybody happy. Like I'm going to, I'm going to literally read negative reviews right now and I'll tell you how I feel about them. Uh, She says, this one was just barely, this one was like, this one was last week. I've been a follower for a long time and I've listened to every episode up until the last few months. I enjoy her content, but she just isn't the positive influence I need each week to keep me listening. I appreciate some of her content and most of what she says I agree with, but I don't like the attitude she has towards those she disagrees with. I wish she was more inclusive and loving towards all people because she says it's a safe place and then brings people down because they don't see things the way she does. It feels hypocritical to me. The episodes haven't been as entertaining as they used to be. Story episodes are always great though. Like I read that now. And like two years ago, that would have really, really hurt my feelings. But now I look at it and I'm like, yeah, I probably, probably could do better at not like shit talking people who disagree with me for sure. When she says the episodes haven't been as entertaining, I'm like, that's, yeah, that's like, that's her vibe. She just doesn't like the episodes I've been doing lately. Yeah. I, I take what I, what I can learn from it. And then I leave the rest to myself. You know, I can't, I can't make her happy. I don't even know what kind of episodes that lady likes. Like, I don't, I don't even know what episodes that she was referring to that she likes, because then sometimes I get, I get comments that say, wow, I did not like this podcast at the beginning. And now I love these episodes. So do you see, you're, you're not going to be able to, to make it work with everybody. 
take the constructive criticism where it is, but then the ones that are just obviously kind of like, I get reviews sometimes that are just obviously somebody who's like mad at me for something. Uh, this one was, I thought this one was funny. Uh, I think I mentioned voting for Becky Edwards here in Utah and <laughs> this one. I'm, I'm not a Republican, by the way. I said to vote for Becky Edwards. She's a Republican because of, this isn't a political discussion. I'm just explaining it. A Republican is probably going to win Utah. So I thought, let's pick a Republican that we like. And I really like Becky Edwards. I think she's a really good person. But this one says, wow, now she's telling us who to vote for. Just casually dropping it like we need to be Republicans now. Not listening anymore. I like that one. I'm like, I'm not what? I'm not even a Republican. <laughs> like, I'm not even, I'm not even whatever. And then like the not listening now. I'm always like, why do you notify me? You don't have to. It's just like weird things like that that you can eat that are easier for me to brush off. Okay, let's find another one. Oh, yeah, this one. This one. The story episodes I love. They're a nice filler while I'm waiting for what we said to come out each week. But I know Ma I know Maddie says this is a place for negativity, but holy crap, she's just a hater on everything, always. So listening often just starts to bring me down. When she tells other people's stories, I like the episode. Anytime she gives her own opinion, I hate it. Guess I've been listening too long because I'm the hater now. At least she's self-aware. <laughs> At least it's self-aware. You know? Oh, like that one. Like that one, I just think, maybe we're just not meant to be. Maybe, maybe I'm just not the podcast for you. And I'm sorry about that. And I wish I was. Like this, I just, I just always think about the type of people who write something like, anytime she gives her own opinion, I hate it. <laughs> so I, I try to take what I can out of it, but not let the emotions of people who write them get in the way. If they're offering me something that really can be fixed or that I really do think, you know, is a good improvement on the podcast, I want to listen. I want to hear it. I want to hear what they have to say. Uh, but when it turns into just emotional ranting, it's just not, it's not constructive. It has nothing to do with me. It's just somebody getting mad about something. And I know that's kind of the cure-all for when people get internet hate, but that's what it is. It's somebody who's mad and you were the first person that they saw and they decided to attack that. I also, I don't read reviews a whole lot anymore. I should say that. I, I mean, I check them and, and I, I want to make sure that everything's okay, but I don't sit and obsess over them the way that I used to. I'm trying to get back to my first one. I feel like that would be funny to read my very first one-star review. While I'm scrolling to find it, I did have somebody ask me if I'm embarrassed when my friends or family listen, which I felt offended by. <laughs> but uh, I mean, sometimes, sometimes I think like, oh, I don't really want my family to hear this or like, oh, I don't think my parents are going to love that I say this. But at the end of the day, I, I kind of just have to do what feels the best to me. It's what we talked about last week. It's and, and it goes in the same category as not going to make everybody happy. You really, if you're going to make a podcast that's just about yourself, like this is essentially just my my life and personality on display. You just got to be used to to what people what people are going to think about it, and not everybody's going to love it. Just like not everybody's going to love you. Oh, rough one to get through. Okay, I got to the bottom of of my reviews. Let's find my one my one star. Come on, where is it? I feel like I should frame this. Wow, reading through these, you guys, I I can't even tell you like these reviews that you guys have given me. I I actually really do credit the majority of the success of the podcast to these because you guys went so hard. You guys went so hard on the reviews and it just it propelled the podcast. So, if you if you're starting a podcast, I mean, have friends and family start to do it and then ask them to have people to do it because the reviews help. So, I know I say that at the end of every episode, but they do. They really do help so much. Okay, here's the here's the first one I can find. Here's the here's the the furthest back I can find. It's kind of the same thing. <laughs> one star from Zether Zether P. 
hate the demeaning way the host talks about anyone or anything she doesn't like herself. The man-hating got really old really fast. Mm. I bet that's from a guy. <laughs> Something tells me Zether is a man. And this one was actually really funny for some reason. When I talked about how sometimes I go to the self-checkout and I put in the gala apple code for when I buy Honeycrisp apples, I had this one girl who got really mad at me and said that I was justifying stealing. So the title of her review says, tries to justify stealing. One star. This isn't okay. And for the record, I do. I do still do that. And I, I'm still sorry. <sighs> that was my longest episode I've ever recorded. That's the longest episode I've ever done. Right now, before I edit, so before I cut some parts out, it's an hour and a half. There's a lot of dead space, though, because I was scrolling through a lot of those reviews. So hopefully that you guys are liking this these, these juicier episodes. I look back. I, I told you guys this, but on my old episodes, they were like 20 minutes. What, what in the world was I thinking? Okay. So I, I hope that this will sustain you through the week. I hope that you loved our little Frankenstein greatest hits episode. Let me know what other topics that I forgot that you guys are wanting me to open again. I would like to have like them up on my, on my website or something. I have a website. I don't really use it, but I'd love to have them all up there. If that's something that sounds interesting to you guys. But other than that, I have a really fun episode for you guys next week that there's no topic and it's something that was on my uh, my podcast bucket list and we're accomplishing it next week. And I think that's all I have for you. So remember to be safe, be kind, be hot. And you know the drill. Subscribe, rate, review, post on social media. Let me know. Let me know what you're liking about this lately and what we should be doing more of on the show. I love you so much. Have a wonderful week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you, so please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind-the-scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week.